say that he's making movies for the fans and not the critics would be inaccurate twice over, both because many of his fans are critics and because he's only ever made them for himself. That's Charles Romesco of Little White Lies, not to be confused with Big Little Lies. His review of Cry Macho, which is our feature review, good week here in the Verk household. Watched four movies in the last week. So wow. something new, Cry Macho, Clint Eastwood's new film, in theaters and available on HBO Max. Something old, Prince Avalanche from David Gordon Green, starring Paul Rudd, one of Cody's favorites, I'm sure. Blood and Wine, 25th anniversary of a film starring Jack Nicholson, Michael Caine, Jennifer Lopez, and Stephen Dorff, and the 30th anniversary of a film I've never seen everyone's talking about Val, this uh, documentary which I reviewed earlier this uh, year on Cinephile. The Doors. Finally saw it. Oliver Stone, 30 years later, I'll give you my review. Also, our wild card, man, it's been a tough week. Still thinking about Norm MacDonald, who was so funny, so inventive, such a genius, and I had the great fortune to interview him five years ago, September 2016, so I'm sure a lot of you are new to the podcast. If you've never heard it, we're going to re-air it. I saw Mark Maron re-aired his podcast uh, with Norm MacDonald, which is excellent, so hopefully people will enjoy it. Cody, this news is shaking all of us hard. I know Norm was a fan of your show. As a matter of fact, in the interview you'll hear, I mentioned the fact Norm was at one point a guest prognosticator on the Love Tart show. One of my favorite types of comedy is the type of comedian where you're not really sure if he's doing a bit, if he's just a little off, and nobody was better at that type of comedy than Norm MacDonald. He would do it on our show where he would be, like sometimes he would just be drone on with this story where we're all looking at each other, and then you realize three minutes in, he's just doing a bit. He's one of my favorite, <laughs> him and Rich, Richard Lewis is another one of these oh, guests who's like Lewis. a loose cannon. They're different, yeah. but they're both just kind of like, you're not really sure if it's a bit or not. I loved Norm MacDonald, it's a huge loss. I agree. Richard Lewis is incredible just because that rambling non sequitur is all over the place. It's like, is he really angry or is this a bit? Like, it's just, I love that type of comedy. We're on the same page. Those are two of my favorites. Did you ever actually get a chance to talk to Norm? I'm sure Allison maybe was answering the phone at the time. Or did you actually talk to Norm? Alice, I mean, I think I literally, like, might have answered the phone and and talked to him. But nothing. Allison was so good at, like, developing these relationships with these guys. And Norm was one of those people that she she would just call him sometimes. It would be like. Like, they were legitimate friends. Because he was, like, our celebrity prognosticator for I think one time like 10 weeks in a row so like she yes. would be booking him every week and she would just call him like on a Tuesday like I know you're coming on this week but I just want you to tell that joke that you told me earlier she did that with Bob Einstein she did it, I believe yes. with Richard Lewis as well she would always find yeah. the quirky ones and she, that's why she that's why she's such a great guest booker because she like develops oh. these relationships she's awesome she does a great job now with the ringers she's with our buddy Rosillo yeah. she booked me to go on Rosillo's podcast earlier this year I'm like Allison you don't have to be so formal about this she's like hey <laughs> just this is Allison Turner I'm like I know who you are just like yeah, yeah. And by the way, why isn't Rosillo just texting me? Like, just I, I, I don't have to her. go through bookers. She's yeah, the best. She's, she is awesome. She is the best. Dan Stanzik, big fan of hers as well. Um, we got lots to talk about here on the podcast. I mentioned those movies. Uh, Norm MacDonald, I mentioned people are going back and watching old clips. The moth joke people are talking about, which I'd never seen before. Uh, his stuff on Netflix. The, the material when he was at Seinfeld, comedians in cars getting coffee. But I don't think there's anything funnier, Cody, than him at the ESPYs when he says oh. Charles Woodson. You know, defensive player of the year, first one ever get the Heisman Award. No one can take that away from you. Eh, unless you kill your wife and a waiter, then all bets are off. I mean, <laughs> just the, the balls of this guy, right? It was so good. He, that's what got him kicked off SNL, right? Like right. like some high up at, in NBC was a friend of Simpson, and he was like, lay off Simpson, and then he just would not. And I, I think that's why he got rid. He got fired from SNL because of that. Yeah, you're right. Don Olmeyer. I mentioned that in the interview listening, so you'll definitely enjoy yeah. that if you're a fan of uh, that era of Norm MacDonald. However, major, major news, okay? The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos film, the Sopranos prequel, is coming out next Friday, October 
December 1st. It's in theaters and available exclusively on HBO Max. And by the way, before we go any further, this message is sponsored by Warner Brothers in partnership for their new movie, The Many Saints of Newark. Of course, I'm a nut for The Sopranos. It's my favorite show. I live in North Jersey. I'm literally 15 minutes from the Bada Bing. Okay, I went to Holston's. My brother was visiting. I went to Holston's, which is uh, the diner where the final scene is shot. So to say I'm an Uber fan is a mild <laughs> understatement. Guys, I got to tell you, my wife and I got to see the prequel to The Sopranos, The Many Saints of Newark, last night at the premiere of Tribeca Film Festival. And let me tell you right now, I cannot wait to talk about this movie. I'm going to give my full review, Cody, next week, mm-hmm. which will be a day before Ooh, the movie tease. actually comes out. A little tease. A little tease, right. But honestly, I cannot wait to talk about the film, just how great it was. If you're a Sopranos fan, if you're not a Sopranos fan, if you know me, you know how jacked up I was. I had high expectations, and honestly, David Chase shot through the heart, did a phenomenal job. So The Many Saints of Newark, as I mentioned, will be in theaters and streaming exclusively on HBO Max on October 1st. You can get your tickets now. Tune into my episode next week to hear about the film. And this is the big news here. I'm bearing the lead. This is big. You can play for free. In the Many Saints of Newark DraftKings Challenge now and take your shot at winning 5K in cash. That's right, $5,000. Head to DraftKings.com slash Many Saints. Good luck. We're all about DraftKings here on Metal Arc. So before you set up your daily fantasy lineup, do a little movie lineup. This is is what I love about DraftKings, that you can do a fantasy football lineup, and then it's like, oh, I like that movie too, and now you can do stuff with the Sopranos movie. It's not just sports. It's other stuff now. If you're a movie geek like me, if you're a cinephile, you're going to love it. So honestly, check it out, DraftKings. And again, my review is coming up next week. My review right now. By the way, sorry, I did get some tweets last week. People are like, hey, what happened to the book review? I did give a book review of The Master. No, not the Paul Thomas Anderson film starring Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. The Master, the long-run and beautiful game of Roger Federer. That's a book by Christopher Clary of the New York Times. I did that on another podcast, my boy Stu Stupidity. I read all 406 pages, and then Stu had Chris Clary on his podcast. Rather than just interview him, he had me as a guest interviewer. So if you want my book review slash interview of the last book I read, if you're a tennis fan, if you're a Federer fan, you'll love it. Even funnier, Chris, is the five-minute preamble that Mike A, the Mike Anthony, the producer, and Stu said, just making fun of me, talking about if I, if I know what Federer's garbage smells like, you know, how pathetic I am dressing like him. I mean, it, it's, it's legitimately very funny. So if you want a book review... If you're wondering what happened to that, gentlemen Frank, Stu Gotts, check out Stupidity, which is also in Love Eternal Friends Network. All right, now we get to the movies. Cry Macho, starring Clint Eastwood. First of all, the fact he's 91 years old, still cranking out movies, is nothing short of remarkable. In this latest film, he plays Mike Milo, who is a guy who's I mean, well, past his prime here, right? 91 years old, working for Dwight Yoakam. If you like Dwight Yoakam, the country music, good for you. I like him from Sling Blade. He was fantastic playing the villain in that great Billy Bob Thornton movie, 25th anniversary of Sling Blade. I do want to talk about that at some point here on Cinefop. But anyways, Clint's working for Dwight Yoakam. First scene, he gets fired by Dwight Yoakam. Hey, man, you're old. Get out of here. You're past your prime. Okay, cool. Fine. See ya. We then find out that Mike Milo, Clint Eastwood's character, was a former... Uh, stud, actually, as a matter of fact, when it came to bull riding. You see old clips of him videos, suffered a serious injury, therefore now he's gone off into retirement, which apparently is being belittled by Dwight Yoakam, being bored, listening to old records, sitting around. So Yoakam brings him back a year later and says, listen, I got a job for you. I want you to get my son. He's like, what? Actually, my, my buddy Mike Kiss does a great Clint Eastwood impression. It is simply this, what? <laughs> you just got to squint the eyes and go, what? And, like, and literally, Dwight Yoakam says to him, I have a job for you. He goes, for what? It involves this like, noise, oh too. Uh, yeah. For what? Uh. <laughs> Let's meld that together. Uh, he says to Clint, go get my kid, okay? I married a Mexican woman. She's south of the border. She doesn't want to talk to me. Go get my kid. He's my kid. All right, you want me to kidnap your kid? Okay, sure. And for some reason, Clint just goes along with it. Apparently, they've got some sort of trust issues here. Maybe he's trying to make up for the past. 
He's driving a truck, right? He, just, he has to be driving a truck. Of course he is. Just okay. like the mule, just like Grand Trainer driving a truck. <laughs> he goes down there and sees moderately attractive middle-aged woman who is the mom who tells him, no, the kid's not here. He's a disaster. And hey, why don't you sleep with me? And you're going, hang on a second. This woman is going <laughs> to hit on placement? And even more improbably, he says no to her. You're like, what? Is he? Like some, some attractive middle, who's like half your age, is throwing herself. And he turns like, it down? On. And he's like, no, I'm good. Wow. So she's like, okay, fine. Go to hell. Of course she reacts poorly. Who's going to react well to this? She reacts, well, get out of my house. Go, I'll call the cops and you. You're trying to abduct my son. Okay, get out of here. Eventually... <laughs> He finds his way around this. He does see the kid. And the kid is in love with a rooster. That's right. It's what? called Macho. That's right. The rooster's called Macho. And he goes, I'm kind oh, of into this. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, I, I knew you'd like the plot synopsis. Because he's like, what's your chicken's name? It's not a chicken. It's a rooster. And his name is Macho. Like, what? His did, name is Macho. I did not see that goes, coming. I did not yeah, see goes, that coming. And literally, the line from Clint Eastwood is, I don't care what you call your cock. You want to call him Macho? <laughs> fine. I mean, that line should have been in all the trailers, if you could actually curse in the trailers. Did he so say now, it like this? I don't care what yeah. you call your cock. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get Caliendo back, by the way. Caliendo was so good. Yeah. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it. He had 40 different voices. <laughs> Anyways, Clint, the cock, and this kid are now back in the car. They're trying to go back home. And at this point, you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not really sure where this is going here. But then that story actually kind of hits a bit of a groove because they end up in this town where Clint, again, this is a reach now, another woman is hitting on her. Now, thankfully, this one doesn't just throw herself at it when she first meets him, but they create this relationship. She only speaks Spanish. She speaks English. One of her kids is deaf. He knows sign language. He's talking to the sign language. I'm like, okay, there's a little bit of a bond building here. They dance together. And the kid starts to kind of get this relationship with Clint as well. Like He's a bit of a father figure. What is he learning from him? But then eventually the bad guys close it. I'm not going to get to the ending, but let's just say it's a little bit underwhelming. Ultimately, my message is this. Cry Macho has received tepid reviews. We're looking at 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's a very slight film. Unless you're a Clint Eastwood completist, I have to see every film he's done, I would avoid it. But if you have HBO Max, it's a 95-minute movie. It's a pleasant enough diversion. As always with those movies, it's beautifully shot. There's some great scenes of him in the sun-dappled sunlight. He, he's also an animal lover, so at one point he turns into a veterinarian. So he, like, he starts working with horses, which makes sense, right? Obviously, he's a former bull rider. He's just petting the horses, talking to some bulls. All right, he, Literally, they're bringing him in this Mexican town. Hey, can you help my cat? How do you fix my cat? I'm like, all right, Clint Eastwood, now an animal lover. I'm like, all right, sure. So if you just want to have a lot of suspension disbelief, you go with it. Ultimately, though, as I said, unless you're a huge Clint Eastwood fan, I would avoid it. Richard Roper pulls it well with Chicago Sun-Times. It's great to see Eastwood and his stunt double back in the saddle in a few scenes in which he breaks some wild Mustangs and teaches Raphael how to ride. But Cry Macho has his crying uncle long before the underwhelming conclusion. I'll give it two Maple Leafs. Come here, horse. Let me pet you. <laughs> I can talk to you. What? Uh, so that's Cry Macho. Uh, again, not really recommending it, but, you know, mildly enjoyable. That for is the most tepid of reviews of where you're just like, look, yeah. I didn't love it. But if you're that if you're really bored and you have Correct. 95 minutes, fine. Right. You're big into Clint. OK, enjoy. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't made a truly great film since Million Dollar Baby. American Cypher was very good. He directed that. He said some clunkers. Million Dollar Baby. I've seen that. That's great. I, I love Million Dollar Baby. Right. Yeah. 2004. Incredible film. You were mentioning, though, even last week we were talking like this kind of feels like Gran Torino and the Mule. I'm like, yeah. yeah. So if I had to rank it, <laughs> Gran Torino is better than this. The Mule, a little better than this. Although The Mule was not as good as Gran Torino. And then you've got Cry Macho, which again, the guy is 91 years of age. Yeah. I'm impressed he's still coherent. He's not wearing a diaper. The fact he actually directed this film and stars in it. Hey, kudos to you, Clint. Get that paper, Clint. Yeah, exactly. Next up, I want to talk about Blood and Wine because you saw it. 
Chris Cody Look knocking out the, for the 25th anniversary, Blood and Wine is currently on HBO. I said, I got to see it. So let me start with Bob Rafelson. Bob Rafelson, great 70s director, five easy pieces, one of the films that put Nicholson on the map. Easy Rider was a supporting role in which Jack was discovered, so to speak, with Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, but then he really kind of made his bones. His first starring role was Five Easy Pieces, 1970. Bob Rafelson's director. Now, Rafelson hasn't done a whole lot, 80s, 90s, so clearly he was like, yo, Jack, help me out. Okay, cool, I got this little film noir. If you're in the movie, we'll get some stars. We'll get some stars. We got Michael Caine, okay, great. A young ingenue, I forgot, Jennifer Lopez Thank is you. in this movie. Hello. Right, and she looks great now in her early 50s. This is when she was 26. I mean, who isn't going to watch a 26-year-old Jennifer Lopez? Are you kidding me? You're kind of burying the lead with Michael Caine. This is Michael Caine as a gangster. A yes. Michael Caine that will kick your ass while, while smoking a cigarette and coughing his lungs out. <laughs> Does Jack Nicholson, is, are his best roles as a villain, as the bad guy? I think so. I mean, again, he's never a clear-cut good guy, kind of like Michael Keaton. We were saying he's a good guy who is ambivalent, who's got some negative characteristics, or he's just great as a villain because he's got that leering smile, yeah. those jack eyebrows. Here's the plot. A saved cracker, Victor Spansky, Michael Caine, a philandering husband, Alex Gates, which is Jack Nicholson, an angry stepson, that's Stephen Dorff, and an illegal immigrant, J-Lo. Make an up and seething stew of jealousy, greed, and ambition, which can only be assuaged by a million-dollar diamond necklace. After burning through his wife's fortunes, Gates, that's Nicholson's character, desperate to run away with his mistress, Gabriella, a nanny, arranges the theft with Spansky, that is Michael Caine, unaware of his stepson's intent to ruin him. How much of a reach, J-Lo banging Jack? <laughs> I mean, I went, I'm so glad you just mentioned the jealousy part because that's what, when I watch this movie afterwards, I'm just like, every single person in this movie is selfish. Yeah, and Nicholson is always charismatic. The one scene where he has a huge altercation with Judy Davis, I mean, you talk about domestic violence, a rough scene to watch, but he gets Rafelson's his ass not, kicked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Holden of the New York Times said when Bob Rafelson decides to get nasty, he really means it. Judy Davis unloading on him, and JLo's obviously very attractive. Stephen Dorff, you know, fairly standard generic role, yeah. upstart, cocky stepson, but you're right. The reason to watch this is Michael Caine, because you've never seen him as a gangster. Like, <laughs> unless you've seen Alfie or like you know those old films of the '70s, this is like badass Michael Caine. He's dying, which is why he's got this horrific cough. I mean, Mount Rushmore of coughs in movies. Michael Caine is at the top of the list. Every season, just, just coughing up blood in the sink, blood lighting everywhere. a cigarette while coughing. <laughs> <laughs> just flaunting the fact he has bronchitis. Like, oh, I don't give a damn. Yeah. But the scenes where he's, I mean, it's just chilling the way he's going after Nicholson. I agree with you. Seeing Michael Caine a villain, one of the big charms of this film. And then Nicholson at one point, or do people, like, is this just a movie thing? Like, he's sewing his own stitch? Is that a thing people yeah. used to do back in the day? I guess it was an example of just what a tough guy he was. Like he's He's been beat up so many times, he could do it himself. But you're right. I'm like, why, why couldn't somebody just help him out? And there was this one random line where he gets this, uh, these, these uh, airline passes, and he's like, I don't fly economy. And you could just tell he wanted that to turn into like one of his classic lines, just the way he delivered it. I bet you told the director, he's like, I need to get this perfect. This is going to be a classic. And I don't right. think it, I don't think that line took off for him the way he wanted just the way he says it. He's like, I don't fly economy. I just, I feel like he wanted that to be a bigger line than it was right and, and yet for the last 25 years of his life nobody's gonna <laughs> that's what i mean I only the way he if says you it ever met him it'd be great the yeah. way he says it is like he's delivering it like this is gonna be huge by the way michael kane was disappointed with the production of his previous movies bullet to beijing and his sequel midnight st petersburg he was done with movies it was jack nicholson that convinced him to come out of retirement to make blood and wine and the movie's experience made him decide to continue acting. He was also he was already in retirement in '96. I've he's right. been acting for like 25 years since then. <laughs> exactly, he won an Oscar since then. Cider House Rules. And how about J Lo? 
She said she did a nude scene with Stephen Dorff in Blood and Wine. The scene was removed before it's the actual release. So Bob Rafe was just sitting there in a jail and nude. Damn you, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Other characters that could have played Alex Gates, uh, which is the Nicholson lead, Gene Hackman, Robert Duvall, James Caan. At around the one hour, 24 minute mark of the movie, fans can see a damaged Volkswagen Beetle. This is my favorite part. It was the same car that was driven by Jack Nicholson in the 1970 movie, Five Easy Pieces, which is the first one he and Bob Ravelson made together. How cool is that? (laughs) Wow. Uh, Ethan Hawke, by the way, the first choice of the makers for the role of Jason. Asper Reports had a long conversation on the phone with Jack Nicholson trying to convince him, but he just finished his first novel. Turned him down. Ethan Hawke was like, Jack, you know what? I'm going to pass. Um, And I mentioned uh, Blood and Wine, their last week together. First collaboration was actually Head, which is before Five Easy Pieces. So Stephen Dorff also has the same birthday as me, July 29th. (laughs) There's all the information you need to know. We'll give it three Maple Leafs. We'll keep it rolling now with another film you watched. Yes. Cody, two for four here. Prince Avalanche. Now, this is a movie in which plot takes a backseat to character. And they often say this about stories. If you look at a movie and it has too much plot, not enough character, you don't care about it, right? It's kind of like the Fast and the Furious movies. Big action movie. Just a bunch of stuff happening. You don't root for anybody. If a film has too much character and not enough action, then it's boring. Think of a period drama. You go, nothing's really happening. They're just talking a lot, but I don't really care about it. So Prince Avalanche is obviously a character-based study, which is to say there's not much plot. But I think because the characters are so interesting, plot becomes immaterial. The story is this. Paul Rudd and Emil Hirsch. By the way, what happened to Emil Hirsch? Good yeah. actor, disappeared. I don't know what happened to that guy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they are a couple of guys working in construction. I mean, it's about as boring as you might think. Put Literally painting the yellow lines in the road. They've got all the machinery. They're going middle of nowhere. You discover that Rudd is actually... Excuse me, Hirsch is the brother-in-law of Paul Rudd. Like, okay, how do these guys get stuck together? Oh, okay. Emil Hirsch is kind of a knob. He's kind of all over the place. So Rudd took him under his wing. But you see Rudd in voiceover talking to his wife, complaining about the brother. Anyways, they're stuck together because Rudd's trying to be a nice guy, do a solid. But ultimately, what you realize is their relationship is more important than the relationship which you think the movie's about, which is him and his wife. And it becomes a being a bit of a bromance, but not in the way you think. It's not a comedy, but it is about this relationship and this friendship between two unlikely characters. And the reason I would recommend the film is, despite the fact it does not have a lot of plot, I love the director, David Gordon Green. He made his bones with George Washington, one of the great first features ever. And I like the pace of the film. Again, 90 minutes long, maybe even less, 85 minutes. But most importantly, I like both actors. I like what Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch are doing. It's like waiting for Godot, right? The beauty is all in the characters and the dialogue. It's a slight film, but an enjoyable one. I'll give it three Maple Leafs. Chris? One of the most simple movies I've ever seen. Like, it has to be the least expensive, too. It's just Paul Rudd and this guy in this old town street, just like essentially (laughs) talking for two hours. But I'm telling you, it's actually was only 90, I think it was only 90 minutes. It was a short movie, which I liked. But this is just very simple. I feel like it's a movie person's movie. Like if you're not a movie yeah. person, you're right. kind of just going to be like, this is boring. But I got into it. I was I got connect, connected to these characters. I found it enjoyable. I found it as someone. I don't watch a ton of these type of movies. So I found it as a nice change of pace. Just simple. These two characters, like deep. They're connecting, getting emotional. So I don't know. It, it It's different. It's not a movie I often kind of watch. Like you said, I go for the more more plot, less characters. But I enjoyed it. I love the review. I'm with you 100%, and it's a good little independent film. Came out in 2013. The end of the movie was a little odd, though. Like, I'm not going to give away what happened, but, like, the way, like, it ends off with them, 
like I see I, I don't like all right spoiler alert it's not really I'm not I'm not giving you any details of what happened but it's just one of sure. those movies where the final scene like the way it was Is shot real? it makes yeah. you think what was the director what was the message of this movie it's like it's one of those scenes where it's like the way it ends I'm like the director and the people that made this movie are trying to tell me something with this final scene and I was tr- I was struggling to like what was the message of the movie do you think yeah, I wasn't sure. Maybe they're questioning reality in that last scene, questioning what the importance of it is. They show but random also- people like just playing, like like you know yeah. what I mean. Like I know, like it's for people who haven't seen it, aren't gonna know what I'm talking about. But it's just it was an odd final scene. It was a scene that made me. It was like I was like, did I miss something? Is this a lot deeper than I thought it was? I don't know. It's definitely eccentric, which is the word that Larushka Ivan Zade uh, quoted in the Metro Review. There's almost no plot and just two other minor characters, but Prince Avalanche is a haunting, eccentric, and ultimately touching little curio. Roxana Haddadi of Punch Drunk Critics did not agree. This isn't a film. It's a one-act high school play. Feel free to leave Prince Avalanche flailing in the wilderness. I did, Ouch. I did like that one old guy just driving around getting people hammered. <laughs> I did like that character as well. Uh, Last film to talk about is The Doors. The story of the famous and influential 1960s rock band The Doors and its lead singer and composer Jim Morrison from his days as a UCLA film student in Los Angeles to his untimely death in Paris, France at age 27 in 1971. It's directed by Oliver Stone. It's co-written by Oliver Stone. It was one of the first misses of Oliver Stone's career. That's right. Won an Oscar for Midnight Express. uh, Won Oscars for Platoon back in 86. Uh, Couldn't go wrong. Born on the 4th of July. was 1989. Again, won for Best Director Oscar. Tons of nominations. Won a Tom Cruise his best performances. Then he made this in 1990, and the whole audience went, huh? Got about 57% Rotten Tomatoes. Didn't do particularly well, especially considering his films were so well-received. So I finally saw it. That's why I skipped it. I go, why am I going to watch The Doors? I mean, I like some of Jim Morrison's music, but I I don't really uh, consider myself a Doors aficionado. So I finally saw it, and here's the review. Val Kilmer, uncanny. I mean, it just Jim Morrison's doppelganger. And one of those actors, like a Daniel Day-Lewis, you could tell, probably got right to the character. And clearly, in the documentary of Val, he says that. Listens to the music, was totally inhabited by it. But the story's a mess. It's incoherent. It's disjointed. I think the point Oliver Stone's trying to go for is, I'm going to put you in the space of a Doors fan. But at times, it just feels like I'm watching a concert footage. Like, it's just 20 minutes of him singing and jumping around and writhing around, shirt off. I mean, at one point, simulating fellatio. I'm like, I understand what this is. So there's very little perceptiveness or insight. Again, I didn't really learn much about The Doors. I knew Jim Morrison died early. I didn't know he died at 27, to be specific. Uh, I learned a little bit about some of the you know, openings of some of the music, how it came about. But I didn't learn a whole lot. If I'm watching a biography, I feel like I need to learn something about the subject beyond just the feeling of appreciating his music and, and appreciating the acting. Kerry Ricky of Philadelphia Inquirer put it, while it has its moments taken by itself, The Doors amounts to little more than an impressionistic look at a boy in his death wish. There are some memorable scenes, though. At one point when he's singing on stage and he's you know kind of just trying to flaunt his amount of indecency, he, he ad-libs some of his lyrics and says, we're going to fuck the night away. At another point, I did not realize he wanted to make movies. So he was in film school. He really wanted to make movies. And Oliver Stone gives himself the cameo as a film professor. They're watching Jim Morrison's movie. And at the end of showing it, Oliver Stone says, hibernating bears, Nazism, and masturbation. What'd you guys think? Like, clearly an example of a director who's <laughs> want to give himself a good line. Uh, another point, like, it just gets nonsensical. I'll give you another example. He's on stage. He goes, Adolf Hitler is alive and well living in Miami. I fucked her last night. Like, what, what is going on here? Is this based on clear transcripts? And literally, if I said to you, what did Jim Morrison get arrested for? I would have thought drugs for sure, yeah. right? No, no. He was arrested for indecent exposure and simulating masturbation. 
And while in the courtroom, one of the lawyers says with vigilance, not one person here can testify to seeing my client's genitals. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of movie the Doris is. Okay. Like, what, what, what is going on here? By the way, I do have to also mention now to circle back to Prince Avalanche. How about the scene 12 minutes in? This is why I don't go camping. They're sharing a tent together. Emil Hirsch is beating off while Paul Rudd's sleeping. I was just going to bring that up. I was like, I thought of you. Is it, is it bad that I think of you now when I see any kind of like action like that? Dude, I was thinking to myself, you have all of the woods and you're doing that. I'm sure that you've been in this tent without him, but you're waiting until he's sleeping next to you. to do. And then he's like saying his name, Alvin. Alvin, are you awake? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That is just another... I was gonna bring I was gonna bring that back just now. Like I can't believe that you just brought that back. Look at our minds think alike. I'm telling you, man, we're becoming the same person. But that's why I don't go camping. I just don't like I just don't like what could happen. I was thinking that too. At one point in the movie, Paul Rudd's character is making fun of the other guy for being like, Well, you don't know how you don't know how to build a tent, you don't know how to start a fire. And I'm thinking like I'm kinda right with that guy. Like I would be screwed out in the woods. Like I need like a a a Jack Dundee. What is it? Right. Uh, is it Jack Dundee? Uh, a crocodile Dundee. Is something Jack? Is there a Jack anywhere with, with in the woods? Tom and Jack, Tom and Huck, whatever, man. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> good in the woods. That brings up another uncomfortable moment in Prince Avalanche when literally, again, Paul Rudd is sleeping with this guy's sister, and Emil Hershey goes, "Is it still tight after having kids?" Yeah. And Paul Rudd has to say to him, "Like, dude, it's your sister." Yeah. Like, what is wrong with him? I mean, people have questions sometimes, you know? <laughs> I suppose so. Let's get this back on track. I want to give one more review. Roger Ebert talking about Blood and Wine, because I want everyone to see it. It's a morality play, really, but dripping with humid sex and violence. Watch <laughs> Blood and Wine. I give that three Maple Leafs. I'm giving the doors two Maple Leafs. Did you watch the Emmys? So... I normally, I love award shows, so you'd think I'd be all over it, but Chiefs-Ravens that night, so it's kind of like, eh. And to be honest, because of the way the movies, excuse me, the shows came out, a lot of shows that normally get nominated switch, meaning I love Better Call Saul, but it wasn't nominated because in that time window because of COVID, there wasn't a new show. Mm -hmm. Succession, I love. The new season's coming out, but within that window, it wasn't eligible for the Emmys. So I'm looking at the shows going... All right, I mean, I don't really watch a lot of these, but I'll watch because I like award shows. I love the opening. Like, everyone's crushing it, saying it was so uncomfortable and awkward, but that's why I loved it. you got to take chances. For those who didn't see it, go back and watch the opening. Cedric the Entertainer comes out yeah. in honor of the late Biz Marquis. He says, TV, you got what I need. And you say you're just a friend. Obviously, they start singing just a friend. At one point, Rita Wilson starts rapping. Like, this is incredible. Yeah. That's how you get award shows back. You got to do random shit, man. You got to do weird stuff. You can't just do the usual presenting. Like, why is Rita Wilson rapping? If you're flipping channels, you're watching Patrick Mahomes, you flip back and what? What is happening right now? Sterling K. Brown is rapping? That's good stuff. I watch award shows for the carpet. Like, I love a red carpet. I love on a, on a Sunday <laughs> evening. And I'm not Who even. Who are you wearing? I'm yeah. not into I don't care what the name of the people. I just, it's just something relaxing about a Sunday evening. Watching yeah. on the red carpet, the interviews, these, you know, empty interviews that they're not saying anything. I just sure. there's something about that background noise I love. And I love, like, to your point, you need that opening monologue. You need that to crush. That is what the award shows have been missing. And I'm and I was with you. I saw I didn't watch a lot of it, but I did watch Cedric the Entertainer and it was yeah. great. My show, Ted Lasso, cleaned up. So yes. I'm a big Ted Lasso guy. So that was really I didn't even need to watch it. I was just glad I was with you. I was stuck to I had I had the Chiefs. Uh, oh. Money line, so I got a little crushed on that one, but uh, oh, I, I was tough. glued. To, I was glued to football. But the disappointment for the Emmys was this: it could not have been more predictable. Like I could have told you who's yeah. going to win: Ted Lasso, Queen's Gambit, The Crown. 
yeah. and Mayor of Easttown. And those four shows cleaned up. Mayor yeah. of Easttown, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Actress. Queen's Gambit won Best Limited Series, Lasso won Comedy, Sudeikis won Supporting Actress, that woman won yep. Best Supporting Actor. They won. I'm like, okay, so there's really no reason to watch this if there's no surprises. Yeah. But hey, congrats. The big disappointment was Conan didn't win. Like, John Oliver's great. I watched John Oliver, and he won. And even he said, hey, it'd be nice if Conan won once in a while. Like, I mean, and then Conan went up there. Like, it was amazing. When Colbert won for something else, it wasn't Best Talk Show. Yes. Conan was up there. I'm like, yes. yes. Like, Conan's awesome. That's, 30 years, a guy can't win an Emmy. such a good job by Colbert. I don't, I'm assuming that he was like, hey, Conan, come out during my speech. Like, I, I, but also another robbery was uh, Bo Burnham should have won. Like, I think S. Oh, that's was, right. Inside. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think. Was it? Oh, no. It was like the, the, the remake of Hamilton. Like, that one. And yes. it's just like, that Inside was so good. Like, I feel like yeah, that I heard it was won. excellent. And to your point, like, Hamilton, like, hey, they filmed it. Like, how is that right. a new award? It's like, the repurposing not... of it. Like, that yes. Inside was just so unique. And so it spoke for COVID. It was the perfect. Yes. Co- have you watched it, the Bo Burnham Inside special? I've not. I had a friend of mine, actually, Tom Monfiletto, messaged me. He goes, it's great. You I mean, gotta watch it. We're kind of like, not that we're past the, the pandemic. That's a whole other thing. But it's just it just spoke to that 2020. It was just such a perfect yeah. special for the time. I do like him. Former guest here in Cinephile. Made a good film called Eighth Bo Grade Burnham? that she directed. Yeah, go I, look it up. So I gotta go back yeah. and listen. I love oh, Bo he's Burnham. He's a great guy. I actually, I think I've had him twice, actually. I've interviewed him on Cinephile, and then I met him uh, at an award show, and I told him who I was, and it was a guy I talked to you back then. He's like, oh, yeah, how you doing? I'm sure he didn't remember me. Yeah. Gigantic guy. I mean, he's like 6'8". Yes. He's insane in person. Wow. Cool. Uh, it was him and Elsie Fisher who I interviewed. But, uh, yeah, Bo Burnham, good people. Adnan, this is random. I saw that writer and director Guillermo del Toro. I just assume mm. he seems like a guy you're a big fan of. Love him. Pan's Labyrinth, amazing. Shape of Water. He estimates that he has spent about 16 years of his life working on screenplays that never got made. <sighs> oh, well, I- I'm glad you bring that up because it reminded me of when our buddy Ryan Marcillo was on the podcast. The amount of effort you have to put towards failure. Like you and it's I wild. love baseball, and the greatest baseball players fail seven out of ten times. It's one of the reasons I love the sport so much. It's rooted in failure. Imagine but if that failure took you seven months to do. It's not like at least in a bat only takes right. two minutes. These guys Correct. are writing. These guys are putting their life into waking up every day for seven months writing this script. Yeah, it's why I couldn't do it. People ask me so often, you love movies so much. Why didn't you go to movies? I'm like, are you nuts? Why the hell do I want to do that? Broadcasting, I go walk on the set. We do a one-hour show. Guess what? It's one take. There's no redos. It's live television. It all gets used. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, I suck today. Oh, well, we'll do it again tomorrow. Oh, I was great today. Oh, we'll do it again tomorrow. Like, Guess it all what? Gets used. When I go into the studio, I always get yeah. used. It always yes. makes the cut. <laughs> A hundred percent. You're going to see my ugly bug on national television. You like it or not, it's there. Whereas in television, movies, this gets cut. This isn't used. And the writing process, it sounds agonizing. And Del Toro Except- is like a great director and writer. Like this is a guy that's had success and he has spent 16 years of failure. Yeah, exactly. Five years in this incredible movie never happened. What do you mean? I wrote eight different versions. We talked to three different studios, got turned down. It's why I could never work in movies. No way. It's why. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks so much for listening to Cinephile as we continue. I'm Adnan Virk, joined by special guest Norm MacDonald. Wait, why is uh, Jeff Goldblum on? Well, yeah, sometimes we have all these TVs up here in the studio. There's maybe a story about Goldblum going on. He's looking kind of creepy there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, usually you can tell by the picture. That something's happened to him. Because he's in a bathroom. There's a picture of him in a bathroom. Yeah, I think he must be selling something, right? Because it's a Goldblum yeah, bait. For those listening. Look at his muscles. It's a Goldblum 8 by 10 There's pictures yeah, of him. Maybe he's coming to the... Connecticut. He told me a story, but I guess I'm not at liberty really to. That's that's okay. Um, I'll start- tell you off. I'll tell you off. Pod, <laughs> please do. Two Canadians here. Yeah, that's right. You're the second Canadian to be on the podcast. Will Arnett was the first. Will Arnett. Do you Where know Will Arnett? Where is he from? He's from Toronto, oh, okay. and he's right right in the city. You were born in Quebec City, but you grew up in Ontario. Yeah, you know Quebec City is all French, and uh, we were English. So, uh, you know, the English hate the French, and the French hate the English. Right, the Québécois. So, so uh, yeah, I was born in the, with the Québécois around, and uh, so uh, my dad, um, you could go to school, you could either learn French mm-hmm. or Latin. <laughs> this is so my dad would not let me learn French <laughs> because he was so afraid that I would, you know, take up with a French girl or something like that. So I learned Latin, and that doesn't help you that much. In Quebec City, where there's a lot of French and no ancient Romans. <laughs> but, but I will say this. Montreal is more bilingual. Like, Quebec City oh, yeah. is very much French. No, Montreal is English. In Montreal, yeah. if you go there, you speak English. You feel fine. People get terrified. They go, oh, my God, I don't know the, the language. I, I don't understand. Oh, no. Montreal is very cosmopolite. The reason I mention this is last week you met Donald Trump. I did. Tonight show. Well, how, I sort of met him. Well, how big are his hands? I, I didn't really shake his hand. <laughs> okay, this is what happened. I, I have met him before, and he does have gigantic hands. <laughs> it's like uh, shaking the hand of a, a Holstein cow. <laughs> no, but um, this is what happened. This is, this is a true thing that happened. There's like about four minutes difference because I had to follow him, you know. So right. he leaves in the hall, and I'm in the hall, and I'm going to go on, right? I'm the second guest. Mm-hmm. First time ever I'm in the second guest. Thanks to Trump. So uh, I see Donald Trump, so I say, Donald, can I get a picture? Can I get a picture? So he turns to me, and he goes, hey, points at me, you know. He goes, uh, big smile. He goes, just give me one minute, and we'll take a picture. So I go, thanks. Then he turns around. He has a Secret Service, and he walks down the hall and gets in an elevator. He just Donald said, Trump completely stiffed you. Yeah, he said in a minute, and then he left the building. <laughs> That's the oldest trick in the book. Give me one second. Yeah, I'll be right back. Exactly. Just standing there at a ball game. Can yeah. you sign my ball? Oh, my God. Well, the reason I mentioned this I remember is- Euchre. I was with Euchre oh. in, a, in, a, in a, a booth, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Arizona, it was a spring training. And so all the fans were trying to reach up, you know, to hand them balls to sign, you know. Mm-hmm. So Euchre would sign uh, a ball. And then he hand it to me. He goes, here, f***ing sign it. So I go, no, I don't want to sign it. Like, they don't want me to sign it. He goes, sign it, man. 
So I go, all right. So I'd sign the ball, and then the guy would get it. Go, oh. <laughs> like, I completely devalued what value Euchre had just put on the baseball. <laughs> That's not true. It's more value with that. Probably worth less than an actual baseball at that point. I, I want to get your thought. With, this is why I'm concerned about I mean, the a store-bought baseball. But, because say. as Canadians, you know, we're not allowed yes. to vote in this country. I no, we can't vote. As people keep saying, though, you have to. Barry Melrose is like, no, you have to apply for U.S. citizenship so you can vote. This is the most important election of our time. And I looked up the rule. I don't know if you ever did, went this far, but in order to apply for U.S. citizenship, there's a caveat there, Norm, that says you must renounce all loyalty to any other country. And I said, hang on right. a second. Like, I'm proud to be an American, but I'm a proud Canadian. I you can't, can't be a loyalty. dual citizen? No, it's, it's, you can, but you have to renounce loyalty to Canada. Oh, I see. I, I don't want to renounce loyalty. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that your reasoning as well that you've never... No, my reasoning is that the test is way too hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? How many Supreme Court justices? Yeah, <laughs> how many stripes on the flag? I don't know. Like, our flag has a, 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 a leaf. <laughs> Like, here a flag is so important. Like, you can't burn it. Oh, you can't burn the flag. You have to stand for it. Yeah, Canada, it gets cold. You burn the flag. I mean, there's a leaf on it. It almost invites incineration, you know. Especially, like, the prairie provinces. They they don't really – in Saskatchewan. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OJ – The Saskatchewan Rough Riders – and the Ottawa Rough Riders. Eight teams in the Eight CFL. Teams. And both had the same nickname for years. Two of them. The first question Americans would always ask me. Yeah. They ask about But there's Don no Terry. answer to it. No, there? there is no answer. It's just a really good name, though. I think I don't think there's a fantastic name. It's yeah. also an American name because, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders. So I don't know how it came to Canada, but no one has the answer to the question. Your brother's a journalist at CBC, isn't he? Yeah, it? yeah. You should ask him. Yeah, he should do it like a documentary and try to figure it out because <laughs> no one has the answer. Seriously ask people, they're like, ha, <laughs> ha. <laughs> they laugh, and I go, no, but seriously, ah, yeah, it's funny. Because, you know, you used to listen to uh, football games on the radio, mm-hmm. and it would be very confusing because, you know, they'd be going, the Rough Riders have it at the five-yard line, bad news for the Rough Riders. If the Rough Riders get it here, the Rough Riders are in big trouble. You know, you go, what the, f- <laughs> what's going on? So, SNL, Weekend Update, you were tremendous. And so much of it was not only your delivery, but also your fearlessness. And it's one of the greatest jokes ever. I encourage everybody to go look it up. Norm was talking about Lisa Marie Presley and Michael Jackson. I remember Lauren saying, you know, you better, uh, you know, if you, uh, you don't want to be sued by Michael Jackson. And I go, no, no, but secretly I did. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that'd be the coolest thing ever. It'd be like, and now Michael Jackson versus Norm. I'd be like, oh my God, this is. I mean, cool. I mean, how could that not be good for your career? But Don Olmeyer, because he was buddy. Don Olmeyer was the, uh, for the Oshie. folks at home. Right, right. Was the uh, executive in charge of entertainment uh, for the entire uh, network of NBC. And only because you were making scathing, hysterical jokes at O.J. Simpson's expense, who's now back in the news because the show was a huge hit. He's back in the news. Well, the show, I should say, his name is back in the news. Like the Emmys, Sarah Paulson won, the show won. What show? Oh, oh, oh. The, you know, the People oh, oh, versus O.J. Simpson. Right, right, right. And then the O.J. documentary, 30 for 30, yes, which is yes. on ESPN. And, and I think you should get more praise for the fact you were attacking him rightfully so. And just because Olmeyer was buddies with him, was like, hey, hey, you can't touch O.J. It's like, well, what do you mean? Like, everyone's... Yeah, why wasn't I in that movie? <laughs> oh, the 30 for 30. That's true, actually. Or the uh, 30 for 30. Yeah, they could have put that on. Huh? <laughs> well, or the 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 drama. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. People versus They could have had, like, Jay Moore going, hey, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> could have had That hilarious impression. David Letterman needed a Bette Midler moment that final week, and he got it from you. Oh, uh, that's what I was thinking. 
Because, and, and it was so great. I, I watched it again. Not that I meant to, to uh, cry. No. I didn't mean that, but I wanted to do one of his jokes. That was my It idea. was awesome. It was amazing what you did. You went on, you were stand up. It was the final week of Dave's show. And you said growing up in, I love this, by the way. You said growing up in Toronto, Canada. Nobody ever says Toronto, Ontario. Yes. They like to make it very plain. They do. Toronto, Canada. They do, yeah. And you said there's a joke that Dave used to tell. You tell it. You know the joke. It was on a show called uh, 90 Minutes Live, hosted by Peter Zosky. <laughs> and the guests were Ricky Jay and uh, David Letterman. And I was in the audience, the young teenager. And uh, his joke was, um, I was driving down the street the other day, and uh, and in front of me was a uh, garbage truck. And on the back of the garbage truck was a tiny sign that said, please do not follow too closely. One of life's simple pleasures, ruined by a meddling bureaucracy, ladies and gentlemen. Remember the old days when Dad used to pile the kids into the station wagon and we'd go out and follow a garbage truck? You then turned to Dave and you said, uh, we know Mr. Letterman does not like the mawkish or the sentimental, but if something is true, then it is not that. And, and Dave, I love you. Yes, that, that I, I, I didn't mean to say those exact words. I certainly didn't mean to say I love you. But, uh, yeah, that was I just I just thought... At that moment, after the joke, I should say something because everybody was being so cool about it before that. And like you say, there was no bet middle moment. There was no one saying, we'll miss you or anything like that. Everybody was just trying to be cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, he was a very important person to me, David Letterman. Because he defended you when and Omar. Well, no, I, but more than that, he I think he changed the entire culture. He changed how people speak, you know? Almost like ESPN changed the way that people speak about sports. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe let, maybe David Letterman uh, is responsible for ESPN. No, there's no doubt. He was a huge influence. Dave used to come here because he's such an auto racing nut. He'd come here and watch the F1 races and stuff. Oh, is they, that right? They would let him oh. in the back and he would just go and set up. Oh, you mean because there were... There were uh, they didn't have that capability like in the early capability, 90s. Like, right, Formula right. 1 race or something. He's like, oh, I'll just go to ESPN wow. and come in here. I'm like, oh, there's Dave. Just That's like that. what I would do for football uh, back uh, when I... Because, uh, of course, there was no dish or anything like that. And in New York, all you could watch was uh, a Jets game. Uh, in the morning and a Giants game in the afternoon, <laughs> and they both sucked. They were horrible. Right. And there were all these great games going on. So I would go to NBC and watch the feed. There'd be every game. Right. And then I'd pretend to be an announcer. I'd turn off the – I still do that when my son lets me. He hates when I do that. But I switch, like on DirecTV, and I go, now nah, let's go, you know. Right. Well, you got a red zone now. You can just watch one channel. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I don't do, I do my own red zone. Oh, so you, you like to do it. Yeah. The book is called Based on a True Story. What book memoir. is that? This is your book. Oh, yes, my book. I, I wrote a book. I can't wait to read this. Based on a True Story, a memoir by Norm MacDonald. <laughs> it's going to be a huge hit. I is can't wait. Right, there's st- Jennifer's here. Yeah, there's... <laughs> There's stories about Olmeyer. There's stories. Yes. We have a story, a buddy here, Daniel, uh, him and his wife wanted to watch uh, Dirty Work together. So yeah. he DVR'd it, and they put it on, and it was not the film Dirty Work that you made. Oh, it, there's another one, yeah. It, it, was, it, was, uh, a, it was a documentary? <laughs> no, it was an HBO film's uh, uh, softcore, I think, is the category. Oh, oh it's, it was a porn. <laughs> you know, one time in my uh, in my hotel room, uh, I, I, you know, when they before you know the computer and everything, right. The only time I'd ever see pornography was in a hotel. And uh, sometimes they'd have like, the weirdest one, they'd have like soft core pornography. You know what I mean? And and this actually happened. I was looking around and there was Pulp Fiction was on. Oh, I love Pulp Fiction, yeah. And it wasn't. 
it was pump friction. No, pump friction, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> pump, pump friction. That's like, like if you want to watch Saving Private Ryan, you get Saving Ryan's Privates. <laughs> Not as good a film at all. Way less. Uh, yeah, it's just basically a futon and a lady. <laughs> Does it have Spielberg's directorial mastery? Yeah, like no, nothing. Right no. <laughs> no, no sweeping. <laughs> <laughs> no sweeping crane shots. Right. Just a lot of uh, you know, a lot of close-ups of uh, what looks like uh, it should be on a medical channel of some sort. <laughs> Based on a true story, a memoir by Norm. Based McDonald. on a true story, go out and a check memoir it. Memoir by Norm Macdonald. I, I thank you so much for coming, Norm. I know you're you're making a comeback. Are we done? Well, do you want to keep going? We can I, they told me it was an hour. Oh, is it? Okay, we'll keep going. No, he's he, he's giving me the wave here. I oh, oh I we're would done. Keep going. Good lord, I had no idea. Well. I think we should have something to wrap it up. Sure. Well, tell me a great anecdote from the book that's something that can really sell it. I'm trying to think of a sports joke. Well, you've made a few of them. Well, I'll tell you this. You want to know why Best this, this, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. Okay, fine. But, I, but I'm, uh, uh, I used to be a very heavy sports gambler. Well, now you're prognosticating on the Levitard show. I am prognosticating on the Levitard show, yes. I'm, uh, I'm what am I, seven and three for the year. That's awesome, man. That make money. Uh, that pay the juice. Well, you know. And uh, seven and three. Now listen to this. Professional football is the hardest sport to uh, to prognosticate. Baseball is the easiest. Now, the why is foot? What? Well, baseball is the easiest because the starting pitcher you just go. No, baseball is the easiest because uh, baseball is a game of streaks. Okay, gotcha. You think of Kirk Gibson hitting that home run, right? Mm-hmm. Against the much uh, better team, Oakland A's. Yep. Uh, what game did he hit that home run in? Hit in game one. Game one. He won the series in game one. <laughs> That's true. So it shows you the power of the streak. Right. The Boston Red Sox down three. To the they, Yankees. Yep. They win four in a row, and then what happens? And they win the World Series. They win. <laughs> Another four, right? Because of the right. streak, the power of the streak. Yeah. So you hit a team when it's on a, a good streak or a bad streak, and you just you stay on them. All right. Stay on them. The reason professional football is so hard to bet uh, is because the ball ain't round. Every other sport almost, the ball is round. A round golf ball in a round hole. You throw a round uh, basketball into a, a round hoop. But a football is this odd shape. So uh, if, if there's a fumble, that's anywhere, man. Right. And then there's this odd thing that's certainly against the rules. 30 guys jump on the football. Now, someone has that football at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And he's being touched, so that should be his possession. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's being punched in the testicles, you know, and <laughs> his eyes are being gouged out, and someone grabs the football, someone else grabs the football. <laughs> And finally, they tear off the guy, and they go, oh, this, look, the big giant guy has the football. What a coincidence. So, there you have it. That's why football is so tough. So don't bet football, because the ball ain't round. Thanks so much, Dorf. I appreciate it. All right. This was beautiful, Adnan. Love you. Ah, uh, Norm McDonald, man. What a genius. I still can't believe he's gone. 61 years of age, but I'm so grateful I got to talk to him five years ago. Uh, just funny and eccentric and, and genuinely kind. You know, afterwards, we were talking. He's like, oh, yeah, what part of Canada are you from? And... Uh, talking about his brother. His brother used to work for the CBC, the National. I don't know if he still works there, actually. Um, so, yeah, it was just uh, 
a little bittersweet listening to that, I'll be honest with you. A lot of good laughs, and very grateful I got to meet him, but very sad he's no longer with us. Do what I've been doing, though. Go back and watch The Best of Norm all over the place, because you're such a funny, funny guy. All right, thank you so much for checking out Cinephile. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. I checked recently, there's some really nice reviews. I mean, I got co-workers, Keenan, Carrie. Clunker CC watching. Although I gotta be honest with you, some of these reviews are pretty harsh. There was two that just crushed Cody. Mm-hmm. They said, hey, stop interrupting. I had a couple that crushed What me. are you stop talking rambling. about? I don't interrupt. <laughs> and then I, the, the couple of me were like, stop rambling. I go, so which one do you want? Do you want Cody to interrupt more or do you want me to ramble less? Because you can't have both, okay? The bottom line is this please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your review, okay? Be kind, be gentle. Uh, and honestly, the many scenes in Newark, can't wait for next week. Oh. I'm gonna give my full review of the movie. We've got Alan Steppenwall, who co wrote the Soprano Sessions, previous guest on Cinephile. Great dude. We'll give his thoughts on the movie. So we're going to Sopranos out next week. I'll close with this one liner from The Doors from Val Kilmer. At one point when he's singing, the sound engineer wants him to do a different take. He says, why don't you suck a fart out of my asshole, you slave driving fascist. And until then, I'll see you at the movies. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.